Alan McHale is a historian at Yale and the author of God's Shadow, the Ottoman Sultan who shaped the modern world. This is Alan McHale. I'm Duncan Gammy. You're listening to Dunk Tank. All right. I'm here with Derek Jensen. Derek, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, So I wanted to talk to you um, a little bit this time about some of the uh, tactics and move and, you know, uh, ideas within the environmental movement. Talked a little bit about this in the past, um, but certain things have sort of proliferated and um, uh, changed in the past year or two. Uh, One of the things that I thought of you when this was going on, but all these interruptions of, uh, in some cases, uh, you know, symphonies at concert halls where people would uh, glue themselves to the orchestra stand, or uh, they would throw soup cans on these oil paintings, uh, or glue themselves to the frame. Uh, did did you have any? And there was a lot of sort of pushback or outrage about this. Um, did you have any strong feelings, thoughts on those uh, tactics? Um, I th- I think that on one hand I'm. I'm glad that people resist the murder of the planet. And on the other, I um, don't, I, I think that, that when we do actions, we should have a well-planned out uh, map of how we get from point a to point b and um and we should consider whether the effects of our actions are we should consider what will be i'm trying to be just value neutral here you should consider what will be the effects of our actions and we should um, work them out accordingly. And, and again, we should be able to articulate how precisely um, whatever action we do helps us to achieve what are our stated goals. And this is I'm, I'm thinking of I, I've never been a big fan of the multinational brand Pussy Riot and what? You're not a fan of them? No, I think they're they're well they they um, were founded by a group called Voina and Voina, or there were actually two groups called Voina who hated each other. I mean, it's all just sort of standard um, anarchist infighting. Anyway, two groups of, of Voina that hated each other. Eventually one of them developed into Pussy Riot and, and they, they, they did actions like 
um, go to a museum and have the women take their clothes off and the men uh, sodomize them. And hmm. the purpose of this action was to, to supposedly manifest um, that the, at, then, at the then PM of Russia um, was buggering the people. And um, what it was really was an excuse for them to be misogynistic in public. Another one was a woman, one of the group, who later became part of Pussy Riot, uh, was to walk into a grocery store and be filmed as she stuck an entire chicken up her vagina. And then they walked out of, she, she waddled out of the store and they uh, then cooked and ate the chicken. And that was their action. Another one was to put a woman in a box, fill the box with cockroaches, and then film her discomfort. Oh, she's naked, of course. Okay. And, and the point is that one can do anything and call it a political action. Yeah. And um, you, know, you see plenty of people break windows for political actions. And it's like, okay, how does that exactly get you from point A to point B? And so if, if when they glue their hands to the frame, if they can articulate for all of us, which I haven't seen this articulation, but if they can articulate for all of us how precisely this, this, this moves us as a society toward whatever their goals are, then, then we can discuss. Okay, so I'm going to back up again. And the, um, when I was in my early 20s, one of the first things I did for, to, to, to learn how to write and to, to become a writer was I, I wrote some book reviews. And uh, the person who taught me how to do book reviews said that there are three questions to ask. They are, what is the writer trying to do? How well did the writer do it? And is it worth doing? Hmm. And so, uh, then say, uh, you know, I just grabbed a random book here, The Psychopath Test, A Journey Through the Madness Industry by John Ronson. So what is he trying to do? He's trying to take us on a journey through the madness industry. He's trying to talk about psychopaths is trying to do this and that how well did he do it well he did it pretty well is it worth doing sure uh martha stout's the sociopath next door she's trying to talk about how we there are so many sociopaths in our lives and how we should deal with them basically get away from them um yeah. but so what was she trying to do how well did she do it and was it worth doing so i think we can apply I, the thing i love about this is we can apply it we can apply it to to to, to basketball, I saw a guy on a breakaway the other day on a breakaway and he was going to do this thunderous dunk and he missed it. So what was he trying to do? He's trying to rile up the crowd. How well did he do it? Not very well because he missed the dunk. And three, was it worth doing? You know, we can, we can argue about whether the points from the layup would have been more important than waking up the crowd. 
That's, that's that that's a discussion we can have. So I would just apply the same thing here. And I don't I often don't understand what they're trying to do. I don't understand the relationship between getting from A to B. And if you can explain it to me, that's great. Um, but they should have done it because that's kind of their job. If you're going to do something that's a little bit abstract like that, it's also incumbent upon you to make it clear. That's another thing with one of my rules of writing is you want the reader to think about what you want the reader to think about, and you don't want them to think about what you don't want to think about. So you want to sort of guide their thinking. And a silly example of this is the Babylon Bee put out a, a parody, a song parody, you know, Babylon Bee satire like The Onion, except it's right wing. And right. they put out a parody the other day of California Dreaming called California Fling. Yeah, it was kind of funny, all that. But on their title, they called it uh, California Fleeing, a Beach Boys parody. And so I spent the entire time going, do these people not know this is the mamas and the papas? This wasn't the Beach Boys. So yeah. I wasn't thinking about what, they're, what they wanted me to think about. And the same thing here. When somebody throws soup on a painting, my thought is, oh my God, is the paint gonna is, is the soup gonna hurt the painting? My thought is not, you know, it ends up there was glass in front of it, so we don't have to worry about that. But it, it's not, oh, we need to stop fossil fuels. I, I don't make the connection. And maybe I'm just stupid. No, the the what I heard from them was that the connection was, you know, oh, look at how shocked you are at this cultural treasure potentially being destroyed and how indifferent you are to all of the world's treasure being destroyed by climate change. And I think, okay, so under three, is that worth doing? That point is definitely worth doing. And did they, did they actually get that across? I don't know the answer to that. Um, yeah. And then, and then what do you hope to have happen then? Um, how do you uh, yeah, how, how what now that you have uh, let, let's let's pretend that they succeed at that. Now that you have succeeded at making a few people aware that of, of that dissonance, what do you do? what's what's the next step and i don't know i don't know their answer to that they i presume they presumably have one i it, it's interesting because apparently this group just stop oil um i don't know how familiar you are with them i only heard about them recently through the uh the series of protests apparently they're funded by um one of the getty errors which is uh of course built their their wealth and oil and so some of the conspiratorial thinking was these people are just trying to uh defame environmental activists and maybe like the foot soldiers aren't aware of that but the uh the funders and people at the top you know that's their real ambition i, I don't know if that sounds far-fetched to you well it 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 does and the reason it does is because oh the the baskin robbins air i don't remember what is i think it's tom rob tim rob unfortunately it's a writer tom robbins the, the, the Baskin Robbins there, Robbins, yeah. he came out as vegan and very much against the the family business and yeah. uh, used his money to do various animal welfare, animal rights and and pro vegan things. Um, I know. I know. I, I have known some people 
who have been fairly wealthy who have uh, not agreed with the family wealth with with the with the ways that the family well the family got their wealth yeah. and uh, have have used their portion of the wealth for good ends. So I I I think the fact that that they are a Getty is not in itself uh, indication that this is a psyop. I think it, I think I think people see psyops. Uh, a bit more often than, I mean, sometimes people just go against whatever. Hey, we we see this where you know people are raised in religious families and they end up staunch atheists, or we see, you know, sort of groovy hippie people from the sixties and seventies whose kids become ad executives. I mean, it's just it, yeah, it just happens. And so I'm it it may I mean it, but but I don't think. I don't think we need to invoke conspiracy in this case in order to, uh, yeah, I, I don't think we need to invoke conspiracy here. I think, I think it could just be that that this particular Gaddy has different different opinions. Yeah, I, I think that sounds right to me as well. Um, when you mentioned about articulating a vision of getting from point A to point B, that's one of the things that what I found a lot of activists say is on some level, like, oh, it's not our responsibility to point to a solution. We have to identify the problem and everyone has to get on board with the idea that this is a serious problem that we must do something about. Um, do, do you feel like anytime someone does an action, they have to say, oh, and by the way, here's our, our bullet point plan for how this action is going to affect change no but i think it's helpful especially if your action does not um does not if there is no intuitive connection between your action and the result you want it helps to to guide it no of course you don't always have to you know somebody who is simply standing in front of a logging truck does not have to come up with solutions to, you know, the larger, you know, civilization killing the planet. They don't, I, I don't see that, but I do see that again, it's just, if, uh, okay. So if, if there, there, okay, there are, I think it's generally helpful to have thought it out for oneself though, because part of my problem with some of this is a lot of actions, and I have participated in some of these myself, a lot of actions are participated in because they feel good in the moment and they feel good, they feel like, wow, I'm really sticking it to the man with this one. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's pretty much the soul. That's as far as it gets a lot of times. And that's not... I don't find that particularly helpful. I, I think, I mean, I don't want to paint myself into a corner here either, though, because so many grassroots environmentalists are trying to protect this or that scrap of ground, but they're not also, uh, and I think it's great. And, and 
wonderful. And they're not at the same time articulating that civilization is inherently destructive, or they may be in private life, but not in public life. And all they're trying to do is to save this particular prairie dog colony or this particular uh, forest from being cut down. And, but within that context, I think a lot of times they can articulate why this particular action leads toward that particular goal of protecting this or that place. Um, and I'm thinking of uh, Deanna Meyer working to protect some prairie dogs. And at one point, she was filmed, I think it was by a news person, uh, stomping on prairie dog traps. And that, that ended up being sort of an iconic image of, that, that helped raise awareness of what's happening to prairie dogs. But I, and, and she's good friends of mine, but I haven't asked her if in the moment she was just stomping on a, a trap or if she was thinking, oh, this is good footage for them to put on the news that will help raise awareness. I don't know the answer to that, even though she's a good friend. Yeah. So, so no, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying that we don't always need to. I just think it can be helpful to have an idea how it fits in. I mean, it's kind of like writing a book that a lot of times I'll write something. It's like, do I know how this fits in with a larger book? Not really. I'm hoping it does. Um, and I don't know. I just, I guess I just wish that sometimes, sometimes we thought more like military strategists and less like performance artists. Totally. Yeah. That's, um, there's an interesting article called, uh, the toxoplasma of rage, um, by a guy named Scott Aronson that I thought was really interesting. And he talks about uh, PETA and this other uh, animal rights group that I, I don't actually know the name of, um, which is supports this person's argument that PETA does actions that tend to uh, be controversial, like the whole throwing buckets of blood on people who have like fur or whatever. Um, and in turn, that can turn people off who might otherwise be supportive of the cause, kind of like this uh, soup can on the painting business. Um, but on the other hand, it also seems to be sort of the best way to generate media coverage. In other words, just by being controversial, or as you said, like a performance artist taking, taking that approach, um, tends to be a better way to like achieve the spotlight on your issue than just being like a, a patient, diligent, maybe military type strategist. Do, do you feel that way at all? Like there's some trade-off between coverage and, um, uh, you know, being reasonable patient strategists. Well, I think hopefully one hopes that they often come together, but, yeah. um, I mean, I'm thinking a couple of things. One of them is I'm thinking about a press conference back in the 90s when Sea Shepherd uh, had, I think it was Bo Derek, 
show up, the actress show up at the press conference and um, a bunch of the reporters are like, what does Bo Derek have to do with wolves? And Paul Shepard, Paul Watson, I mean, said, um, you wouldn't be here if she weren't. And now let's get on to talk about wolves. And so it was, it, he, he did a pure, he was just open bait and switch. Yeah. That he wanted to get them there. And the only way to get them there is to have her show up. And I, don't, I don't know if she said anything or not. And so in that case, it worked. Um, also, I, I don't want to take too hard a line on this because, I mean, I have been accused a lot of, I shouldn't say that civilization is inherently unsustainable because I'm going to hurt the larger environmental movement by making us look like lunatics. Right. And um, the thing is, I can articulate at least my version of how to get from A to B. It's like, and what I say is diagnosis is the first step toward proper treatment. And if we don't diagnose, but that doesn't alter the fact that I've been accused of, you know, sort of harming environmentalism through even doing this analysis. Yeah. And so I am, I am. And also, you know, I, I need to say that the big distinction is not between those who act in ways, those who want to bring down civilization, those who don't. The big distinction is those who get off their butts and do something and those who don't. So I don't want to criticize, even though I think that I don't think that that uh, gluing yourself to a painting, I don't think it's a particularly good idea, but I also don't want to criticize it because they're doing something. And, yeah. and I don't want to be sitting here uh, you know, with wet hair in a comfortable house, the hair is wet because it's raining outside. And I don't want to sit here and, and criticize, you know, somebody else who actually got off their behind and did something. Sure. But having said that, I think that there is also, there are moments. I, I think that again, being able to articulate it is really, is really important. And there are moments when you want a dramatic photo, and I'm thinking of the, the, um, the African-American gentleman sitting at the lunch counter. I mean, that, that photo galvanized the country. That did exactly what it was supposed to do. And, yeah. and they, them sitting there being, uh, being um, uh, dignified, in the middle of this uh, rage was incredibly powerful. And, and yes, that was part of a thought out plan to anyway. So I, 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 I am, I, I'm sorry if I'm sort of rambling on this, but no, not at all. Really sort of mixed on, some of this. And, and even if I disagree with it, I, I think, I mean, there are some things, I mean, honestly, I did not agree with a lot of the, uh, 
John Zerzan has written about the importance of a carnival spirit, this is a direct quote, carnival spirit of looting and burning and how great that can be for revolutionary zeal. And I'm not a big fan of people breaking the windows of a local tire shop or breaking the you know, setting fire to a local grocery store without any any extremely compelling and specific reason. I'm not a big fan of that. And I, I think, which is interesting because I do believe in militant resistance, but it's generally like aimed at larger pieces of infrastructure. It's not we talk about this in Deep Green Resistance that there's the the questions on on a target are if you're going to if you're going to go after some inanimate object is accessibility, um, recuperability, and also criticality, and breaking a window or burning a tire shop is it's it's accessible but that's the only one it gets it's it's also not particularly critical it's critical to the individual who's you know that's that's his or her business but it's not critical to the entire see here's the thing is that the way you win a war is by and that's that's assuming that we are in the midst of a war and i believe that there is a war against a wild a wild nature but if you're in a war, the way you win it primarily is by destroying the enemy's capacity to wage war. And what won World War II for the Allies were two things. One is the destruction of the German armies on the Eastern Front. And the, the other is the Allied bombing campaigns, especially the rail campaigns that destroyed their ability to wage war. And so I, I'm not suggesting that gluing your hand to a painting does not serve the war effort of stopping the war on the planet. I mean, because in World War II, there's plenty of propaganda posters, you know, there's, they, they need propaganda too. Yeah. Um, so I've sort of moved here away from that, which I don't even know what I think about really uh, to yeah. like, like, Another thing that has been done, I, I believe by the same group and by others, is blocking highways. And I've always, I've always wondered about the marginal cost, marginal return of doing that in terms of, yes, you are making people aware of this massive transportation problem and the the problem of fossil fuels and also you're frankly just pissing people off because you're making them late for work yeah and so it's it's a i mean is that's another question is is the marginal cost of the thing in terms of negative publicity what worth you know, the marginal cost of the public. And so I, I don't, and I'm sorry again, if I'm just sort of waffling, I'm not coming down and just being, you know, pontificating no. on one position, 
but it's 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 all really mixed. And what I'm really interested in doing is modeling processes of how we think about making these decisions. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, I, I think it does. And one of the things that I was thinking about when these protests were going on, I was like, man, I, I wish they would interrupt like a NASCAR race or something like that. Something where it's like, okay, like, as you said, it's not interrupting a highway where people have to get to work. Like, this is clearly just like excessive, uh, you know, like waste of fuel. And also it's, you know, it's, it's burning fuel purely for sport. And it's the kind of thing where I would respect these people a lot more where it's like, if you do that at like a NASCAR event, people in the crowd will be like genuinely angry and like want to kill you. Whereas at like an art museum or like a, an orchestra, it's like, you know, a lot of these people probably like, you know, donate to like Greenpeace in the first place or like are, you know, uh, on board with this issue, I, I would imagine. But anyway, that that at least was my take on it. I think in 100 years, no one's going to really care either way about people throwing the soup cans. Um, but yeah, in terms of tactics. Um, it could could leave something to be desired. Um, you you talked in there about this this question of um, you know speaking about civilization itself sort of being the problem, and this is something we've gone back to before. But I wanted to talk about it in the context of uh, what's called ESG, the environmental, social, and governance, uh, aka stakeholder capitalism, that uh, companies like BlackRock. Um, I think some of the major banks have been on board with the idea that, um, and there's been pushback uh, against this among segments of the right saying that, oh, these corporations are all woke and trying to, you know, help the environment, et cetera. Um, I imagine you would have something to say to both sides of this issue, but do you feel like um, sort of the, the top tier capitalists are realizing or are aware of the problems uh, that the machine is contributing to climate change? And do you think they'll be successful in um, sort of just pivoting uh, a few degrees, saving the planet and keeping the machine going? Well, the answer to the last one's no. Okay. Um, I, 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 are they aware? Okay, ask your first question again. Do you think they're aware, um, especially when you see like these major uh, investment firms like BlackRock, for instance, which is uh, big on ESG, so like environmental stuff um, and, you know, conscious investing, at least that's their public persona. Do you think they're aware? Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I think, well, are they aware of the problem? It, it depends. I mean, timber companies don't believe timber companies perceive trees as a renewable resource. They don't perceive forests as, they perceive a forest as something to be turned into a tree farm. And they don't, they don't, they don't, the problems they face are purely technical. How do we, how do we get the dug first to keep growing when, when, you know, we are removing all this biomass from, I don't even think about that. They just replant and hope it works. And they, 
The problem is that what they value is the economy and they value economic growth. They don't actually value wild nature for itself. So everything is about um, how do we continue to keep this thing going? And I mean, we've, we've seen the documents that ExxonMobil has been, or its predecessors have been aware of and on board with global warming is happening since the 70s. And we've understood the, the science since really 1830s, 1850s. And that's been settled for a long time. But the problem is that, and this is the same problem that a lot of environmentalists have, mainstream environmentalists, is they have, they just want to keep capitalism going. I mean, Bill McKibben says over and over that this is our last chance to save civilization. And um, Lester Brown is, you know, plan 4B.40 to save civilization. It's not about saving wild nature. And having said that, also just yesterday, Aramco announced uh, that they had record profits of 151 billion last year. And we can do all we want to mess around the edges and to make new market opportunities through you know, a market for electric vehicles, but is that gonna make any difference to the blue whales? No. I mean, right now I've got a friend who is uh, fighting um, wind harvesting facilities off the East Coast in the ocean. And some of them are being put in <coughs> on important grounds for North Atlantic right whales. I think there's like, I don't know the numbers, 200 right whales left in North Atlantic right whales left in the world. And they're going to put in, and, and these, the, the, even the testing is killing all sorts of sea mammals, including whales. And mm -hmm. so this is just a new opportunity for, you know, it's really a fight. All of, a lot of this so-called green investing is really just a fight between different sectors of capitalism, between supporting the oil industry, the oil sector, or the wind and solar sector um, with actually much of the wind and solar being owned by the same people who own the, 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 the oil. I mean, it's, it's not, uh, you know, so far as the social justice aspects of it, it just, one of the, the, the point, I made what I was trying to, to the point I was trying to make in my book, Culture Make Believe, was not so much about racism, even though I talk about racism extensively in the book. I talk about the KKK, but the point I was making was not really about racism. The point I was making is if you have a, an economic system that's based on competition, it will lead to hatred of outgroups, whether those outgroups are new Irish immigrants to the United States, new Eastern European immigrants to the United States, Chinese immigrants to the United States. It doesn't matter if you're setting people against each other, making them compete for jobs, they will end up he hating each other 
as opposed to hating the source of the problem, which, which, which is the top-down economy. And that was really the point I was making in that book. And it's the same here that, you know, we can hire one rich actor of a different race for another multi-million dollar, multi-hundred million dollar movie. And I mean, how's that going to help the people on the corner? And it's, so it's, it's a lot of superficiality that, uh, that I don't think addresses real issues on the ground, but that's, that's, that's sort of another subject. Um, so anyway, the, the, I, I think that no matter what the issue is, people want superficial solutions. And this is true. It's like, I was talking to my gastroenterologist, you know, I got Crohn's disease. So I was talking to my gastroenterologist many years ago. And he said, I have stopped making dietary suggestions to any, as a gastroenterologist. Yeah. He said, I have stopped making dietary recommendations to almost all of my patients because nobody ever takes them anyway. Hmm. Um, what they want is not something that makes it so they have to change their lives. And I'm guilty of this too. They just want a pill. Yeah. You know, give me a pill so I can fix the problems caused by the various other issues. Um, and I think it's the same on the larger political scale. We just want magic pills that are fairly painless. And I mean, I want to go back to where you started and, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of those actions of Googling yourself to the painting, but I am, I just want to acknowledge this, that I am a huge fan of the message that they're getting across. And, you know, I first, it's true in general. And I first encountered this message from the books of Thomas Berry, where he was writing about how, you know, people would be appalled if you were burning the Mona Lisa just to stay warm. And that's exactly what we're doing. You know, we're burning these great treasures. And it's a point I've made again and again, that when we think about great pieces of art, we think about the Mona Lisa Sistine Chapel. We don't think about uh, the song of the Swainson's Thrush. We don't think about the sound of red-winged blackbirds. Those, those aren't, we don't think about sunsets. We don't think about the colors of leaves in the fall. Those aren't counted as art um, because nature created them and not we with our tiny little brains, our big little brains, big brains, our amazing brains, our most amazing <laughs> thing in the universe. We don't even count our brains as having been made by nature. You know, it's like nature doesn't get credit for anything. Same with inventions that we think about best inventions, the screw, the lever, the gunpowder, blah, blah, blah. What about sex? You know, I'd rather have sex than gunpowder. And um, it's, it's just, we don't, or proprioception, you know what proprioception is? It's a fancy word. That's how you know where your, where your parts of your body are. Like my hand is behind my head, but I still, I can't see it, but I know what my fingers are doing. That's right. proprioception. You can't walk without proprioception. And that's an amazing invention. It's pretty extraordinary. What about metabolism? So I take, I take a piece of, what am I going to eat? Piece of chocolate. I think a piece of chocolate and then it becomes 
energy. I mean, that's just extraordinary inside my body. And um, I could even eat a piece of slightly rotten meat and my body's got it covered because of acid in my stomach will, uh, you know, sort of get rid of all the bad bacteria as long as it's not too bad. Um, it's extraordinary. Just, just, and we don't think about those. And it's the same here. So they're making a very, very important point. And the question is just how well are they making it? And, you know, I, again, I don't want to criticize people who are doing something because most people sit on their butts and don't do anything at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, w- one of the things that I was thinking in there was uh, capitalism has like an amazing ability to like adapt and integrate um, any sort of complaint against it. So I remember at one point, I think this was during uh, the George Floyd protests uh, back in 2020, Lululemon, which, uh, you know, big uh, clothing company had some, uh, they have like, I think like yoga classes and all this stuff, but they had like some workshop they were going to be doing that's like dismantling capitalism and all this stuff. And eventually there was enough of like an outcry or sort of just like, like a, WTF reaction that they they canceled it but it was kind of hilarious to see what I believe is like a, a multi-billion dollar company could be wrong about that but it's a very large capitalist institution being able to sell to you the experience of talking about dismantling cap like it's just it's so bizarre and I feel like it is possible that with any kind of environmental collapse I was talking about this with a friend of mine it's it, it could be possible that like a Holocaust worth of people die each year. And somehow we just like integrate that, um, that change in population and whatever. You see what I'm saying? Like it, it's possible that this could be like Enron where people since the sixties have been saying we're headed for a collapse, but there were people who bet against Enron who went bankrupt just because they were early. And in historical time, it may be true that this is headed for a collapse, but in individual lifetime, it, it may be a few hundred more years until things go down the tubes. I don't think it's going to be a few hundred, but yes, I agree. There have been people who, there have been young people who have come up to me after talks 20 years ago and said, uh, because collapse is imminent, I'm not going to go to college. Right. And I, um, I have seen the palpable look of relief on their parents' faces as I have said to them, you want to keep your options open? Um, how are you going to feel in 12 years if uh, you did not go to college because you thought it was going to collapse and it doesn't? So, um, and, and I'll say, one of the reasons I was able to be really courageous in terms of, of my career choices after college is because I had a degree in science and engineering. And at any moment I could have quit and gotten a good job. Yeah. And that makes you much more courageous than if your option is to go get a job at McDonald's. And so, so I, the point is, yes, I, I, I don't think it's going to last hundreds, but it, it could, last a while and 
it will find ways to make money off of every atrocity on the way down. Yes. And it will also find ways to make bad art on everything all the way down. <laughs> and also, did you ever see the movie or read the play um, Six Degrees of Separation? Have you heard of it? I'm familiar with the concept, yes. So it's, it's, it's the point of the play is that there is, I'm not going to tell you the plot, but the, but the point of the play is that there's this speech given at one point where somebody says, this was my life. I have had terrible things happen to me in my life. And for you, meeting me becomes a story, an anecdote, that you all can tell around the dinner table. And I think about that so often with so many parts of our lives. It's like when, when I was really sick when I was 24 and almost dying and my mom could, my mom was, was wonderful. She was sitting with me in the hospital for like 14 hours a day and then she would you know, go sleep for a while and then she would come back. And I was thinking at the time, you know, she can, she can leave and yes, yeah, she's being very supportive, but she gets to leave at the end of the day and I still have this pain. And I think about this in terms of others too. I just had to put a dog down because he had cancer and now it becomes a story that I can tell to you, but it was his life, you know? Yes. And it's the same that, that, you know, as these mass extinctions unfold, as poor people are pushed off their land, it becomes something you and I can talk about from the safety of our homes. And it becomes something that, capitalists can make money off of and uh artists can do performance arts pieces about and it i'm not saying that you and i shouldn't talk about it i'm not saying that that artists shouldn't do art about it i'm just saying there's this there's always this level of disconnect and we I don't know what point I'm making. It's just, it's just, but yes, it, it will. I, I don't, I, I used to think that there might be some moment when at least we could say to the capitalists as, you know, like the last anti-capitalist says to the last capitalist as the world is, you know, basically a bare rock, look at what you've done. And then going, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. But I actually, I don't, I, I think the belief is so strong in capitalism that instead all there will be is anger that we were cut short before we were able to fulfill our destiny of going to the stars or something. I think there will just be narcissistic rage at the planet. How could you die on me when, oh, there's a line there's a, a really bad movie that was made in the seventies called a boy and his dog or a dog and his boy. I don't remember which. And 
It's about this post-apocalyptic world where there are not very many women. And when, when men encounter women, they'll, they'll rape her to death. And uh, not surprisingly written by Harlan Ellison. Anyway, um, the, uh, at one point, the main character finds a dead woman and says, oh, this is terrible, terrible, terrible. She's still had a couple uses left in her. And he's disgusted because she could have been raped a couple more times before she died. And that's the attitude the capitalists are going to have to the very end. It's like, they're not going to be, oh, God, too bad we killed the planet. It's going to be too bad we weren't able to upload our brains to computers before, before this happened. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that playing out uh i i can also see like this is semi-related but something i was thinking about with this collapse of uh silicon valley bank recently and there were all these articles saying like oh while the bank burned they were implementing these woke practices and, and just like standard sort of like uh corporate liberal stuff where it's like you know I, I don't know the specifics, but it was stuff like, you know, diversity training or whatever. It had nothing to do with the bank's collapse, where it, from what I understand, it's they bought a bunch of uh, treasury bonds and now interest rates went up and those treasury bonds are like, uh, they lost a lot of money on them because they didn't anticipate interest rates going up. Anyway, I can see a lot of blame being shifted onto, you know, whomever say like oh look at these environmentalists who, who who tried to push us away from developing like it's so easy to weasel out and i don't think as you said there's going to be a moment where it's like the the symbol of capitalism says we're sorry i think it's just it's too easy to um well look how hard it is to get somebody in an interpersonal relationship to apologize yeah i mean some people, the people I stay in relationships with, um, yes, I apologize pretty easily. So does somebody else. But good God, I mean, I have known people who, no matter what horrible thing they've done, they always have, my mom called them right fighters, where it's just, they got to be right no matter what. And, yeah. you know, that the system itself, especially when capitalism runs on faith, you know, it's a, it's a giant Ponzi scheme. And, so they can't really acknowledge larger, they can, you know, errors were made, but they were always tactical errors. There was never a problem in the whole plan from the beginning. I mean, this is one of the things that really gets me is that the New York Times has published op-eds about humans possibly going extinct. There are people like Richard Dawkins who have talked about the possibility of humans going extinct. And they can talk blithely about this, but... But I'm considered crazy for saying we might think about bringing down civilization before civilization causes even humans to go extinct. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fascinating note to end it on. Uh, Derek, thank you very much uh, once again for your time. All right. Thank you to Derek Jensen. And thanks for listening to Dunk Tank. I'm Duncan Gammy. See you next time.